0: The very thing that we've come to do tonight, to adore him, I hope that that proclamation that you've just made is is true in your heart. Let's go with that proclamation straight to the Lord now and adore him. Father, we come to you now just celebrating all of the incredible, extraordinary gifts that you have promised to us in Christ and that they're certain in Christ. Father, we thank you for them, and we thank you that even though we have only received a part, we know that through Christ, all things are ours. And so we thank you for that. Father, we pray tonight that we would, a little bit more, trust you. That we would just a little bit more than we walked in here, love Jesus. Father, that we would just a little bit more walk in the light and not stumble over the things that we have been stumbling over. Father, we thank you for the light. We thank you for the light that is Christ. We celebrate him now. We pray in his name. Amen. As you have a seat, I want to invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's word to the book of Genesis. For several weeks, we've been thinking through and working through the story of the life of Abraham. We've been asking the question, what does it look like where Advent and Abraham intersect? And today, this doesn't conclude the life of our brother, our father Abraham, but it certainly is the next chapter. And we'll take a few moments now and meditate on chapter 22 there in Genesis. If you have your own copy there, turn there. If you want to use the hard black Bible that's in front of you, please take that. And we'll be on page number 19 at the very front of the Bible. Genesis chapter 22, it, it tells the story of a very pivotal event in the life of Abraham. It's following the birth of his son Isaac. And we, we waited for Isaac for a long time. Even this month, we waited for him. And this morning, we read about the arrival of Isaac. And now, after the arrival of Abraham's son, whom God miraculously provided as a fulfillment of his promise, Abraham now faces an extraordinary test. That's the title of the sermon tonight, or the sermonette, they forced me to call it. (laughs) Testing. It's a moment where the fabric of Abraham's faith is, in fact, tested, and the resilience of his trust in God is laid bare. God instructs Abraham to sacrifice Isaac as a burnt offering on Mount Moriah. This divine test is not merely a challenge. It's an invitation for Abraham to deepen his understanding of God's character and providence. And we might think this context is is a bit shocking and maybe inappropriate or inappropriate for a night like tonight. But I want you to know that it's very common at this point in Abraham's life for people of faith, worshiping false gods, pagan practices, to take their children and literally sacrifice them so that they can gain the favor of the gods. It's a very common practice. As a matter of fact, Abraham knows very much about that practice and very little about the nature of Yahweh. These first few encounters that he's had with Yahweh, he has learned something about him every single time. Now he has a decision to make. He's got questions in his heart. What sort of God is Yahweh? At this point in time, Abraham not only loves his son, this promised son, but he knows that Isaac was the one through whom all the other prophecies, all the other promises would be fulfilled. And so what would he do? Well, we'll find out in just a moment. Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 to 14. The word of God says, After these things God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And God said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering On one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And so Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the word of the, bur- of the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took his- in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, hear, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they went both of them together. And when they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Let's ask God to bless the reading of his word. Father, we pause now and we ask that you would guide our hearts and minds. We pray that your spirit would draw us in closer to you and that we would have a clarity in this passage. God, would you help us, even though we cannot understand often the path that you've called us to, would you help us to trust you, as Abraham did here? And in that, would we grow? Would our confidence in you grow? And even further than that, as your people trust you through dark days, would that faith and trust lift Jesus high? And as he's lifted high, would that light shine on those who walk in darkness. God, this is our hope and our prayer, and we ask it now in the name of Jesus and for his glory alone. Amen. It's in moments like these that we often revert to the default position that is so common to all of us. And it's a faulty assumption. If you're taking notes, maybe just jot this down. I I'm going to call it the fallen human confession the fallen human confession. It's a default position for most of us, and it sounds something like this. This is our reasoning. This is our rationale. If God, who possesses boundless ability, is also inherently good, then his commitment to fulfilling promises extends to the path that I have chosen. Do you see the the fault in this logic? If God, who possesses boundless ability, is also inherently good, then of course he will fulfill his promise in exactly the way, the path, the time that I have determined. We know the starting point, we know where we are today. And for Christians, we know the ending point, we know what he's promised. And so we often will assume that the shortest distance between two points is a straight line and that the best way to get from here to there is the path that we see clearest. And yet that is not the case almost ever. and certainly not the case for Father Abraham here. He knew where he was. He'd been promised by God. He knew what the end result was. He'd received Isaac, and he believed that in receiving Isaac, all the other promises would be fulfilled in and through his son, his only son, whom he loved. And now he's got to make this choice. Would he continue to trust his God, or would he hold on to a part of the promise, only a part, and run from God? Beautiful thing that we have learned over the course of the last four weeks is that Abraham learned that he could trust God. And the question I want to ask you tonight is what about you? Have you come to the point where you can trust God? Certainly, He has proved Himself in His Word and even in your life, Christian, proved that He is trustworthy, He is faithful. And even though we do not understand the way, we can certainly trust his heart. And that's really the main idea tonight. I don't have much to say. There's a lot here, but I really just want to lean into this one thing at the end of this year before we celebrate the birth of Jesus tomorrow. I want you to think about this main idea. God doesn't demand that you grasp his ways. Instead, he extends an invitation to trust in his heart. God doesn't demand that you grasp his ways. Instead, he extends an invitation to trust in his heart. Isaiah 55, verses 8 to 9 say this. We've heard this before. God is speaking. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The reality is that God does not demand that we grasp his ways because it's literally impossible for us to understand all of the ins and outs, all of the things that he has planned for us. We can see so little, we looked at that a few weeks ago. Our viewpoint is, our vantage point is so low and so small The reality is we have no choice but to trust in God, to trust in his heart. Abraham's courageous declaration goes something like this. I don't know how this is actually a part of the plan, but I trust God's heart. And really his statement there by his life becomes a model for us to live by. While we do not fully comprehend the path, our trust remains anchored in God's unwavering character. Faith says this, I know not how, but I trust his heart. I want you to see Abraham saying that here in the scripture. Look at verse 5. He doesn't actually say those words, but if you read closely, a few of the statements that he makes are so beautiful and so full of faith. Look at verse 5. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. There's so many things that we could unpack out of that second statement, that second sentence there. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. First, just think of this. When Abraham and Isaac go over there, what are they going to do? They're going to worship. Obedience is worship, friends. When the Lord commands something of us, even though we don't understand When we obey him, we are worshiping him. We are saying, you are worthy of my obedience. You are worthy of my life. You're worthy of every part of me. And Abraham says, I and my son, whom I am discipling, I'm teaching, we together will go and we will worship our God. And don't don't miss the second part there. And I and the boy, assume there, Come again to you. Abraham believes. He's not lying to these young men. He's saying, Isaac and I will go over there and we will worship God. And Isaac and I will come again to you. You wait right here with the donkey and the rest of the stuff. And we don't know exactly what was going through the mind of Abraham, but we know this. In that moment, he's saying, I know where I'm at. I'm right here with my son. I know where we will end. We will end with all of the promises of God that he has made to us Through this young man, that will be the end. And I don't know how Moriah fits in here, but I know we will come again. Theologians and Christians throughout the years have confidently said that in this moment, Abraham believed in the resurrection. Abraham believed that God would make a way just as he had given life to a barren, dead womb. He would give life, if needed, to a dead son. And and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Additionally, look at verse 7. Look at verse 7 and in verse 8. It says, And Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father, and he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And verse 8 says, And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. What a beautiful statement that he's making there. He really could meditate and chew on what Abraham is thinking. What's he feeling? What does he believe in that moment? What is he expecting to take place? Is he expecting what took place actually to take place? Does he imagine that there'll be a ram stuck in the bushes? Does he imagine that Isaac really won't be sacrificed on this day? I don't know. But what we are sure is that Abraham has the confidence to continue moving forward and saying that God will provide what is needed today. And he certainly will provide. Now, you know the story. You know how it ends. You know that Abraham is stopped by God, and he says, "I now I know that you trust me. Now I know that you believe me. I know your faith. Abraham, now you know your faith. You know the depths Of your faith now. And what does Abraham say about that place, Mount Moriah, which is a very, very important mountain? He says in verse uh, 14 So Abraham called the name of that place, the name of that mountain, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Abraham honestly, truly, in the depths of his heart, as he's being tested, believes that God will provide and fulfill everything that he's promised to him. I'm gonna ask you something about that statement that Abraham made in verse eight and here in verse 14. Was it fulfilled on that day? Abraham says, the Lord will provide a lamb, And then he says in verse 14, this place shall be called the Lord will provide. On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Was it fulfilled on that day? Well, it certainly was in part. It certainly was in part. Abraham was expecting a sacrifice. God was requesting a sacrifice. And unlike the pagan kings and the pagan gods, God would not accept accept the life of a child of one of his followers, of one of his worshipers. This was not going to be part of our worship. And yet, there was still a sacrifice made. The Lord certainly did provide. But I want you to notice when he names the place, when he names Mount Moriah, he says what? It shall be called, the Lord will provide. That name The Lord will provide. The verb is an imperfect in the original Hebrew. And I'm not trying to get all fancy with you, but it simply means this, that it's describing something that is not yet completed. In other words, it's not saying the Lord has provided, but it's saying with anticipation of the future, the Lord will provide. And so, certainly, Abraham is saying with some nostalgia and joy in his heart, I remember the day, I remember the moment where God actually provided what we needed. We needed a sacrifice. He took Isaac literally off the table and he provided something in its place. But I think this name is pointing to something more, something future. This morning we understood this idea that Isaac is a bit of a shadow of Christ. He's a type of Christ. Christ there in the first century he is God taken on flesh dwelling among men and as light shines past him in the face it casts a shadow all the way back to the life of Abraham. And there Isaac the son of Abraham is the shadow of Christ what's beautiful is that Isaac would not die there on that mountain but 4,000 years after this testing of Abraham's faith the son of God the only son of God Jesus Christ veiled in flesh would have his own flesh torn open and he would be the sacrifice that God provided on that beautiful Good Friday. Abraham, I believe, was talking not only about what would happen in his day, but what he believed would come in the future, that God would provide what we needed. I love the fact that when John the Baptist in the New Testament sees Jesus, what does he see when There he is at the banks of the Jordan River, and he sees the Messiah, young and strong, bold, preaching the good news. He sees him walk up, and John declares loudly for everybody to hear, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John made that public declaration of him. What happens in the heart of of those around us when they see us trusting God without hesitation or qualification? What happens when we say that God will provide, that he will make a way, regardless of whether we understand this way or that way, when we say, I know that he will provide, just as John was saying, here's the Lamb of God, just as Abraham said, God will provide the Lamb, what happens when we do that, Christian? When we say in our lives that we don't know how we'll get from here to there, but we know where we are, and we know where we've been promised to land, and we can trust God along the turns and the dips and the dangers and the struggles, what happens there? We like John, are calling attention to the lamb, and we're saying there. There's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There's the Lamb, regardless of what I'm going through right now, there's the Lamb of God that through him will fulfill all the promises of God and bring me into his presence. Not only was this testimony of Jesus that he was the Lamb that takes away the sins of the world, but there's also another testimony in John 1 that says that he was the light of the world. That would come into the world. A moment ago, we lit the center candle. That center candle here is the Christ candle. And it's there in the center of all the other candles that represent love and hope and joy and peace. And it's in the very middle of the Christ candle because Jesus Christ so strongly displayed all of these characteristics. And so he's in the center as if they emanate from him. But not only is it in the center, but the Christ candle is a taller candle. And this indicates that when Jesus, or sorry, when the, when the Christian holds on to the hope that we have in Christ and fully enjoys the peace and displays the joy and gives the love, that it lifts up Christ higher than the rest. It lifts up the, 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 the Christ candle, the light of Christ higher than the street lamps of Hagerstown and the steeple of Hagerstown Church here on High Street, even higher than the heavens. And as his light goes up, it's allowed to shine on those who are now living in darkness. In just a moment, we're going to let our, light our candles. And for you, what I want you to what I want to ask you to consider is to let your candle symbolize tonight your unwavering trust in God. For each of us, we've, we've come through different, different paths, different paths with different things that have happened along the way, challenges that we've faced pain that we've endured, disappointment, questions, and maybe even doubt. As we end this year out and as we come into the day of Christmas, I want to ask you to let this light tonight symbolize your unwavering trust in God, not just tonight, but on into the new year, saying this, that we, we like Abraham, God, we don't know what will happen We don't know how you'll get us from here to there and we don't know how these difficult things in our lives are a part of the plan but we know that you are good and we can't understand your way but we can certainly trust your heart and this candle, let it symbolize that in your life. As we light the candles and as they spread throughout the room, we'll be singing a few songs, songs that make much of Jesus And I think it's appropriate that if you are able to not just hold that candle but to raise it high and to see what happens when the light of Christ comes into our possession and we pass it on and we raise it high, not only are we able to live by that light, but we also are able to shine that light abroad for those who are now living in darkness around us. And so I let I want to challenge you to let that be your testimony today. But I also want to address some of the folks that are in the room that may be saying tonight, I just don't know if I can really let that light symbolize something that doesn't actually exist yet. Well, I still want you to know something that Jesus is the light of the world. And at Christmas time, Christians are celebrating that for many years. So many of us walked in darkness. And the scriptures say that we walked and we stumbled and we didn't even know what we were stumbling over. We didn't know which way was left or right. We didn't know which way to go. I want you to consider tonight as you see the light passing and as you hold your own candle to consider what the light of Jesus reveals to you. I pray that it reveals hope I pray that it invites you to peace. I pray that even as you hear the songs that are sung by the saints tonight, that you will feel the joy and that as we lift Christ high, not just with a candle, but with our very lives, trusting in him, that, he will, that all the promises will be answered in him and that all of the sad things will be untrue. I pray that those Things, hope and love and joy and peace will draw you in as Jesus is lifted high. This is our prayer. Let's pray now. Father, we thank you again for this light that you have shown abroad in our hearts. God, we thank you that Not only have you shined the light of Christ in our hearts, but you have given us the privilege of lifting Jesus high. God, we do that. And not just as a symbol, but we we do that with our lives. We offer them to you tonight. And God, we submit ourselves to you fully, trusting you that no matter where you lead us, no matter the path that you take us through, though it be the valley of the shadow of death itself, God, we will not... Fear evil because you are with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. God, would our trust in you, our deep faith in you, would it give those who even now are standing in darkness an invitation and a drawing to come into that light and to walk by the light of Christ. God, we thank you that you have not left us in darkness. Christmas is a time where we celebrate the light of Christ shining, not just here, but all around the world. We thank you for this reality, Jesus. We give this praise to the Father on your behalf and in your name.